Welcome to the Carbon and Cows podcast, brought to you by Washington State University and University of Idaho. This is Nina Gibson. In this podcast series, I dive into topics related to carbon markets and where dairy and livestock producers in the Pacific Northwest can play a role. Each episode, I interview an expert working at the forefront of this rapidly evolving landscape. From engineers to economists, we go into some of the nuances of existing and emerging regulated and voluntary carbon programs and different aspects of project development that may impact their long-term economic success. Let's get started. In this week's episode, I have Georgine Yorgi co-hosting with me. Georgine is the Associate Director of Washington State University's Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources and has worked on issues relating to climate and agriculture, including within dairy systems for the last 15 years, bringing extensive knowledge and perspective into current topics surrounding anaerobic digesters and carbon markets for dairy and livestock producers. In this episode, Georgine and I interview Embry Bronstad, wastewater engineer at Brown and Caldwell. Embry has worked in numerous capacities in her 15 years in the wastewater sector. She has been responsible for project components ranging from preliminary microbial process design to startup and commissioning, which informs her holistic approach to wastewater planning. Embry has also served as the principal and co-principal investigator on academic research efforts pertaining to organic wastes and their conversion to beneficial products, and is currently serving as project manager and technical resource on a number of climate-related and organics valorization projects. In this week's episode with Embry, we begin part one of an anaerobic digester crash course, where we cover key considerations for those looking into installing a digester on farm or participating in a community digester. Digesters require thorough daily monitoring and knowledge behind the biological process that drives anaerobic digestion. It can be difficult for a dairy whose primary role is centered around milking cows and farming to know how much time needs to be spent towards a digester's daily monitoring and maintenance. In this two-part crash course, we hope to bring insight into some of the changes a producer may experience if they install a digester on farm, including key parameters to achieve optimal performance of the digester, and some considerations around having a private company's involvement in the operation and maintenance of the on-farm or community digester. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Carbon and Cows podcast. I have Georgine Yorgi here with me today co-hosting. Super excited to have her on today. And we have Embry Bronstad here with us to talk about key considerations for those thinking about installing a digester. I'll let you take it from here, Georgine. Great. Thanks so much, Nina. 
Embry, we've seen a lot of dairy digesters going in across the country in recent years. And we know that a lot of things vary, you know, one dairy digester is not exactly the same as the next dairy digester. Environmental conditions vary. Man manure management systems vary on dairies. Can you talk about what types of digesters might be most relevant for dairies in the Pacific Northwest? Sure. And thank you guys for having me. Um, as Georgina knows, I'll talk, you're, I'll talk about this forever. Um, so I think we do want to... There are climate and environmental considerations for digesters, but I do want to emphasize that um, while dairy digesters and the deployment of digesters in the dairy space may be um, more novel or sort of a, a burgeoning area of interest, we have been using digesters in the wastewater industry for a hundred years minimum. And so which also have, which are deployed all over the country in various climate conditions. And so when we're talking about specifically the Pacific Northwest, I don't want people to shy away from this technology from a climate perspective, because those are, those from a technical and design issue, it's not a constraint. Um, we can do covered lagoons. Um, we can do uh, completely stirred tank reactors, plug flow reactors. It really is more a function of what the digesters are being deployed at dairies for. So for wastewater treatment, it's really solid stabilization and gas production has, has up until recently been a secondary consideration. For dairy digesters, we've got two considerations. One is a reduction of greenhouse gases, right? And the generation of uh, renewable energy. And from that perspective, that's really more of the, that's really more where you start to con concern yourself about types of digesters that you're deploying. So if you are trying to generate renewable natural gas from dairy poop, um, my argument would be a completely stirred reactor similar to what we use at wastewater plants is better than a lagoon. Um, but if we're really just focused on greenhouse gas emissions reduction at the dairy, um, a lagoon can also provide that service. So it's kind of, it's a little bit, what are our, what are our end goals um, that we're trying to accomplish with this technology? For a dairy that might be approached by a digester developer, Embry, it can be difficult to know whether that developer is technically capable and a potential trustworthy long-term business partner. In your experience as an engineer, you must have seen similar situations. What types of due diligence do you suggest that dairies have as they explore a potential partnership? So, um, and this is a really good question, and it's also a really hard and complex and nuanced question. Um, I, I, I do, I was actually talking with a dairy digester developer yesterday and they brought up the point, well, from an operations perspective, once you have that digester out on farm, um, we can do the, we can do the third party operations and maintenance of it. And the, the dairyman doesn't ever have to touch it. And I was like, but really? <laughs> so, so I think one of the things, one of the biggest 
challenges that we see in dairy deployment is um, the op the continual upkeep and operations and maintenance of it. So there's a so there's a couple of things that I would that I would start asking questions about. So the first thing is um, who who is designing and who's designing the digester and to what standards are we looking at um, a, a, a robust sort of concrete tank? Are we looking at what kind of cover is it? So there are certain design criteria that I would start asking um, the developer about, and that is something that a dairyman would probably have to learn about ahead of time. Um, but it's things like. Do you have redundant systems in your digester design? So like if this pump breaks, what happens? Do I have a backup? What happens if this, um, if I have a leak, who's coming out to take care of it? Who, what's the instrumentation on this digester? How do I know how the digester is performing? Do you, and who is keeping track of that data, right? So, I mean, there are a couple of questions that are just going to keep the dairymen protected if something goes wrong from the design perspective, right? Um, so those and those kinds of questions, the developer is not going to necessarily have answers to those questions. Hopefully, they've hired someone who knows how to design a digester um, because many times we see the developers are not from this world or from maybe the oil and gas industry where they don't have this kind of construction. So the first question, I guess, is what are the credentials of the person or the company designing this digester? How many dairy digesters have they designed? Frankly, how many municipal wastewater digesters have they designed? What kind of digesters were they? Did they have to operate all the time? You know, that's another thing that we see. A municipal wastewater digester has to operate all the time. A dairy digester doesn't necessarily, but don't we want it to? Don't we want to design it as though it could? And so there's questions like that. Um, if you've done a lot of digesters that are kind of intermittent operation, that's maybe not the best way to approach your project because you haven't thought about what happens if something breaks. It doesn't matter. We can shut this digester down and do something else. Um, so there's design considerations and the credentials of the people designing the digester. There's the contractual relationship between the dairyman and the developer. And that is who is responsible for um, manure management, like the digestate management. Who is responsible for gas getting to its end use? Who is responsible for the quality of the gas? If you're bringing in additional feedstocks like co-digestion, um, post-consumer food waste, salmon, chum, whatever, who's responsible for procuring those contracts? And so, um, so there's all that contractual and legal sort of like who's getting stuff to the digester and who's taking, who's responsible for the stuff coming out of the digester, right? And then the gas production, of course, is there's also a lot of economics associated with the sale of the gas. So I would also look very closely at how much is the dairy getting? How much is the intermediate broker getting? What is the um, 
pro forma assumption um, associated with the sale of the gas? How many dollars per therm do they think they're going to get? And if they get fewer, how does that reflect on the profit to the dairyman, right? So if you set up a pro forma that says, I'm going to get $5 for every BTU I make, and you end up on the market getting three, what happens to the dairyman, right? What part or share of the of the return is is the dairyman always guaranteed, right? Because those markets are volatile. We're still feeding into a commodity market, right? So the, the cost of the profit can can change. So there's that. And then my my um, pet project is the operations and maintenance. So who is taking care of this thing? It is not it is not just a pump. It is not simply a mechanical piece of equipment. It is a living organism. And gas production is the byproduct of a healthy functioning digester. And so you have to keep those bugs happy if you want to keep the gas going and keep making your profit associated with that gas production. And so there's a lot that goes into that piece. Back to the conversation I was having with this digester developer, you know, he, and again, he was saying, well, we'll just, we can just, uh, we have a service model and we can come out and take care of the digester. And I said, you know, a digester can tank metaphorically, not literally, right? It can crash between service, right? It is a living organism. So you have, it is not simply a deferral of maintenance to a third party. You have to have somebody at the dairy who is going to champion, at the very least, a daily walk around that digester just to make sure that things sound right, things smell right, things look right. Because if you don't know what at you do you don't know what abnormal looks like unless you know what normal looks like. And so there has to be this partnership. I'm sorry, Georgina, you were gonna say something. I was just going to ask you to talk a little bit more about, you know, you said several times digesters are living organisms. And for our listeners who might not know what you mean by that, can you just explain? Oh, sure. Oh, my, I will default to my um, worn thin, but still true analogy um, <laughs> to us, which is that it is, we are all anaerobic digesters. We are all walking anaerobic digesters because all an anaerobic digester is, is an engineered version of what goes on in your gut as you as you process and digest food. And so it is all microbially mediated. It is bacteria that are continually um, decomposing and breaking down organic matter. And the particular bacteria in a digester that we like to, to foster are those methanogens, those bacteria that will take organic compounds and as a byproduct of the metabolism of that organic compound produce methane, right? So this is all something you have to keep those bacteria fed and happy just like, um, just like you as another living creature like to be fed and happy and warm. Um, so yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that can affect a digester and throw the balance of the microbial ecology off. And there are lots of things that you can track as a part of the maintenance of that digester to make sure that the bugs are happy. Right. 
but that's not always something that you can do on like a, a weekly visit, right? Yeah, and as follow-up to that, I have operated a, a digester more so in a municipal setting where you're testing it multiple times a day to make sure gases are being produced in a healthy way, the right organisms are in the digester and functioning properly. What is sort of the minimum testing that you would expect to see mm -hmm. at an on-farm digester uh, compared to in the municipal setting, uh, just to make sure all yeah. your parameters are in check and functioning? Yeah. So let's assume for a minute that a dairy has put a digester in place to profit or to benefit from the gas production. And if that's true, then there will be, or there should be, right, back to that, what are we designing and what instrumentation are we putting on this digester to check all of this stuff? There should be on the gas system some um, measurement technology that will tell you things like how much methane is in that gas versus how much CO2 is in that gas or carbon dioxide versus how much hydrogen sulfide is in your gas. And so presumably you have some baseline or some information about that gas quality. And if you start to see methane drop, if you start to see methane production drop, then you kind of, or you start to see there's less of this or more of this, more hydrogen sulfide, less methane then that can start giving you a clue about mm, those critters that make the methane may not be very happy. So then you can you can use the gas itself actually as sort of a diagnostic. And I and I target the gas because I think again, that seems as though like for these deploy for the particularly developer um, projects, that that's the kind of end goal. And so they're probably going to be keeping an eye on that pretty closely. Even something like a drop in just gas production as a whole will give you an indication that maybe something's not right. It might not be that the microbes are unhappy. It might be that you're not mixing that digester well. Like there's a problem with the mixer. We see if you have good mixing, um, pre and post mixing projects, you can see an uptick in gas production like 20, 30%. So if your gas production starts to go down, it could be the it could be the critters, or it could be that your mixer has failed, right, or is not operating efficiently. So then you can start to get some clues. pH from the inside of the digester is one of the easiest things to keep an eye on. Um, you know, municipal digesters track all sorts of stuff uh, because they have operators there twenty four seven and they have their own labs. But a pH probe is really kind of like bare minimum, I would say, like being able to kind of keep an eye on what's going on in that digester. If your pH starts to shift, something's going on. Okay. And how frequently do you think they should be checking that? <laughs> Ideally? Well, <laughs> I mean, again, on the gas side, that is probably an inline constant check, right? And And if it's not, or if the if the design hasn't included it, then I would certainly ask for it. Um, it will be a constant stream of information, gas production and gas quality, hopefully. Um, pH once a day. Okay. So you would suggest a dairyman become pretty familiar with just checking that basic parameter then, the pH? Yeah. Those basic, I mean, I mean, of course, I could think of 40 things that I would like for them to do. Uh, but honestly, you know, 
One of the most important things, again, is just knowing kind of how your digester smells and, and equipment around it sounds. I mean, it's, it's um, yes, it, you, you need to check the internal mechanism of the digester and, and you need to, um, you, you should know pH and you should know some of the other kind of internal parameters, but there's also just walk around it every day. Right. It, it's not, it's not even as complicated as I've dropped from 50 SCFM to 30 SCFM. Oh my gosh. It's really like that piece of equipment wasn't making that noise yesterday. Compressor, that's whistling and it wasn't whistling before. And noticing these things and knowing what your digester normally sounds like and what the pumps and equipment around it normally sound like or smell like or look like. Is that leaking? That wasn't leaking yesterday, right? And stuff like that. Because again, if you do have a service contract with some third-party developer, that information helps them, when they do come out, address a problem more robustly and more holistically, right? So you again, it is this partnership. I, I'm, I used to actually be a firm believer in nobody else, nobody has to operate this digester but a third party. And now I'm I'm kind of coming back to the hybrid model of, no, you, the, the dairyman does need to have someone who understands at, at least how that system normally looks, smells, feels, operates um, to kind of inform that service provider and develop that more robust partnership. Um, thanks so much for that, Embry. I'm going to take the conversation in a slightly different direction. I want, you know, we spend a quite a little bit of time talking about those um, agreements and what they might look like, you know, kind of what they might cover. Um, I want to ask the question for you, you know, in some cases, we're talking about digesters that are operating and located on farm. In other cases, we're talking about a kind of off farm model where maybe multiple dairies are contributing manure to a digester that's operating off site. Are there different special considerations in terms, you know, obviously they're not going to walk around the digester every day, but in terms of that agreement and in terms of making sure that that partnership is healthy, what are the things that are crossing your mind as considerations? For a multi-input system? Yeah. Yeah, that's not located on the farm where a dairy yeah. is. Well, the dairyman might not be walking that side every day, but somebody better be walking that side. I mean, Somebody needs to monitor that system. I mean, when we were talking about that, I mean, the first thing that occurs to me is you're going to have more equipment out of that facility. Um, because if you get multiple trucks or multiple types or multiple um, qualities or quantities of manure, there's going to have to be some wide spot in the line ahead of the digester to promote mixing and homogenization of those um different feedstocks, similar in, in the vein, maybe not as robust as you would for a co-digestion system. But um, my first my first thought is, do we know all the, the volumes and do we have enough equalization ahead of the digester to accommodate? And that's more equipment, right? Um, but really, that if we're only talking about manure, that's really the only thing that I could think would be much different. Um, 
when you start talking about co-digestion, you start talking about the variability of post-consumer food waste or pre-consumer food waste and how that might affect a digester, then those types of multi-input systems get more complex and you do have to, um, you do have a different, a whole other set of considerations that you have to take and um, evaluate and, and bolster the agreement around. And from a dairy, from the perspective of a dairy um, farmer, thinking about an off-farm digester, is it really as simple as, you know, where there are multiple inputs, thinking through sort of what am I giving to that person and then what am I accepting back and how might that be different than what I shipped off in the first place? Is that really the crux then of their sort of what they should be concerned about? Well, if you're talking about sort of nutrient management plans and you're talking about how how when you're co-locating this, this multi-use or this multifaceted digester and you're dumping all of these nutrients into it, who gets what out of it? Sure. I mean, that is, um, that is again, part and parcel of the agreement. And, you know, and you know better than I, a dairyman might, might only want 50% back of what they send off because they have a nutrient management plan that would stipulate um, application. So that is something that has to be on the back end. Yes, thank you for saying that. I'm thinking on the front end. But on the back end, you do need to um, evaluate who gets what redistributed from the digestate. But in terms of quality, um, quality is and, and nutrient profile, um, again, if it's a manure-only system, doesn't strike me as something that would be of a particular concern. Join us next time for part two of the anaerobic digester crash course with Embry Bronstad, where we focus on things that can potentially go wrong when operating a digester and other key considerations for producers. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Carbon and Cows podcast. You can subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For articles or links to resources mentioned in the podcast, as well as our contact information, please see the show notes. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission to support dairy and livestock industry. So please rate and review the podcast or reach out to us through email if you have any questions or if there are topics you would like for us to address in future episodes. The Carbon and Cows podcast is produced by the Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources at Washington State University. Editorial oversight and technical content expertise is provided by Georgine Yorgi, Marcos Marcondes, and Shannon Nybergs from Washington State University, and Hernan Tejeda from the University of Idaho. Aaron Whitmore provided production assistance. Other podcasts in the series are available at the Center for Sustaining Agriculture and Natural Resources website, csanr.wsu.edu.